Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is the place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Ian Cowie, Sunday Times journalist and regular contributor to the II website. Ian joined the Sunday Times as personal account columnist in 2013. The Association of Investment Companies judged him to be the best freelance journalist in 2017, 18 and 19. He was named Consumer Affairs Journalist of the Year in the 2012 London Press Club Awards, having been Personal Finance Editor of the Daily Telegraph since 1989. He joined the Telegraph as city reporter in 1986, writing about savings and investment since then. As an enthusiastic investment trust shareholder, he has seen and survived several stock market shocks. So first and foremost, a very warm welcome to you, Ian, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. Now, we last spoke in April 2020, pretty much at the height of the market pandemic crisis. Did this extraordinary experience teach you anything new in investment terms, do you think? Well, yes, the scale of it is unprecedented. I mean, nobody alive today has seen anything quite like the coronavirus crisis. And the flash crash, as it turned out to be, when we did that interview, reflected the scale of that problem. However, it reminded us of some eternal truths, perhaps the most important for investors being to you know, avoid panicking, particularly after everybody else has panicked, because all that will achieve if you sell after prices have fallen is to turn paper losses into real ones. So that's not new. Don't panic isn't new, but it is fundamental and important. I think, Richard, you and I can claim to be among the few commentators who didn't run around as if it was the end of the world at that time. And I certainly went on the record on several occasions advising long-term investors to hold on. And in the relatively short term, that has proved to be the right thing to do. Selling, or when we last spoke, would have been a big mistake. While the short-term future remains unknowable, in the medium to long term, if investors own shares and funds invested in good companies generating real revenues and profits, then we should share in the wealth that is being created. So the short term can be very frightening and is totally unknowable. But in the medium to long term, we can hope to achieve real growth and income by hanging on and not panicking. Your Columns resonate well with II readers since they're based on your own experience and indeed your own portfolio. Are there any themes which you're seeing at the moment which are of particular interest to you? Yes. Well, I mean, if we go back to April 2020, which was a very frightening time and was was the, was the low point of that particular flash crash that I talked about earlier, I not only wrote about the importance of taking a medium to long-term view and hanging on. But I put it into practice by investing dividends as they came through and some cash I happened to have at that time. So, for example, I took advantage of the way that share prices had fallen dramatically by initiating a new position in a company I'd had my eye on for some time, Sonova Holdings. Many people won't have heard of them, but they're one of the biggest manufacturers of hearing aids in the world. It ain't glamorous, but it is, sad to say, something more and more of us who are in our second half century need. And so in April of 2020, Sonova stock market ticker soon 
Sierra Oscar Oscar November had fallen to Swiss francs 173, 173 Swissies. That's when I bought them. And uh, since then, they've been up to 402 Swiss francs. But when I checked yesterday, they were 326. So that's been extremely profitable. Uh, I've nearly doubled my money. It's a company I expect will still be in business long after I'm past caring. It's doing something important and useful. It's helping people who are living longer than our parents and grandparents did remain part of the conversation. So it's, you know, it's a real business delivering products and services that people really want. And I expect it to continue to do well. So that's that's an example of, you know, how I put the theory into practice in April 2020, when candidly, many other commentators were running for the hills. Given the kind of water that's gone under the bridge since then, in the current inflationary environment, for example, are there any things that are piquing your interest? Yes, you're, you're absolutely right to touch on the issue of inflation. Last month, uh, we saw dramatic increases, um, decade highs uh, in inflation, however you measure it. The RPI, which you and I will remember, used to be the commonly accepted benchmark kept on producing figures that were inconveniently high for the government. And so they have thought of a lot of clever reasons to prefer a different measure, which produces conveniently lower measures of inflation. But RPI is uh, currently rising at an annual rate of 7.1%, which is a significant figure because at 7.1%, the real value or purchasing power of money will halve in just over a decade, which is about half as long as most people can expect to spend in retirement. So RPI running at 7.1%, and I imagine or expect that the next reading will be even higher, is is really something for investors to worry about. Uh, I mean, CPI, even the government's preferred measure is rising an annual rate of 5.1%, which is still serious. So investors do have to think about how we're going to preserve the real value, the purchasing power of our savings, uh, particularly if our priority is um, saving to pay for retirement. So uh, one of the big impacts that is likely to have on stock markets in general, is that it is likely to shift the balance away from what we might call jam tomorrow stocks, where all of the return is promised to you in the future, and there is uh, little or nothing being paid to you at present. These stocks, sometimes described as growth shares and growth funds, have had a terrific run over the last decade uh, with, with governments around the world pumping money into the economy. But I think the emphasis may shift back towards what are sometimes called value stocks and shares that uh, pay us to be patient by delivering decent dividends today. I mean, I don't expect it to be a complete reversal because many growth shares and, and growth funds are based on companies delivering goods and services that we are likely to continue using. I don't think they're going to disappear, but I think we are going to rediscover the joys of companies that are currently making profits rather than promising profits in the future. Businesses that already have customers and revenues and not just business plans. I think in the past, a lot of investors have bought into business plans rather than businesses. And I think increasingly, we're going to rediscover the joy of dividends. More broadly, Ian, do you think the pandemic has had a positive effect in the, in the ability of new investors to do more research and potentially to become more educated? Or did that meme craze as seen last year, especially in the States, actually have the opposite effect? 
Well, the, the whole meme stock thing, or stonks, as they sometimes call them, it was obviously silly. It was obviously a function of cheap money, quantitative easing again, vast quantities of liquidity being pumped into the system, looking for somewhere to go. And so uh, it ended up in, in some frivolous areas. Uh, I happen to believe cryptocurrencies would be one of them, where there is no real business, there's no utility value. The entire valuation is based on the fact that there's a lot of money flowing in at the moment, and you hope there will be a bigger fall in the future. That has worked reasonably well recently. I don't expect it to work forever. And I think when it stops working, a lot of people are going to feel rather foolish. But uh, against all that, uh, I think the technological changes that have been underway you know, for the last 20 years or more, in some ways were highlighted by the pandemic and in particular working from home. You know, digital communications, digital technology generally has changed the world and is likely to go on changing the world. And I think the um, private investor index from Interactive Investor published uh, just yesterday highlighted that. You know, when, when I began work as a city reporter on Fleet Street in 1986, you had to physically go to business libraries. And if you had access, you could find information. You were one of the privileged elite who could get access to information that is now freely available to everyone online. That has changed the world. Uh, it will continue to change the world. And looking at our own little corner of it, it's changed investment too. Everyone now has access to the sort of information that was only available to institutional investors 35 years ago. So, uh, that has changed things forever. It's made it much easier for people who want to, to run their own money, particularly with international investment. You know, we've all got access to the information and the analysis that was only open to a privileged few in the past. And that is a fundamental difference. And I think a very positive change. We mentioned earlier you're an enthusiastic investment trust shareholder, and maybe that um, informs your answer. But do you have a view on the current active versus passive debate? Yes. I mean, it's often misunderstood. Uh, some people seem to imagine I'm against tracker funds. I'm not against tracker funds. I, I wrote one of the first guides to them in the UK, again, about 25 years ago, maybe longer ago, when uh, Richard, as he was in those days, Richard Branson, launched a tracker fund, and uh, he wanted someone to write about the joys of passive fund management. And so I did. I, I'm, I'm an old-fashioned liberal. I believe two views make a market. I would worry if everyone had the same opinion, because it would probably mean we were all wrong. So I think there's a role for both. I think tracker funds deliver real value to people who aren't interested in investment, don't want to bother with picking individual funds or shares, want to avoid the risk of picking the wrong manager and reduce the cost of investment. However, where I disagree with the people I tease by calling passive aggressive types, because some of them are quite uh, fired up and uh, get, uh, as I say, quite passive aggressive about it. But where I disagree with them is that I don't think they're a panacea. I think there are real problems uh, with passive investment, particularly for those of us who uh, like the idea of putting our money to work, supporting activities we would like to see more of, such as medical research, for example, as opposed to investing in tobacco companies, as opposed to investing in armaments companies. And I could go on. 
And I dare say every individual will have their own idea of activities we would not wish to support. And one of the great things about active stock selection is that you can make your money make a difference. You know, you can you can put your money into things you support and would like to see more of, such as renewable energy. Whereas when you buy a tracker, you are basically just sticking it into the index and you will find that you are backing, you will probably find anyway, depending on your own, out, own outlook, you'll probably find that you are backing things you don't really support and you would you would oppose. And, and as I say, that will differ from individual to individual. But I'll give you a, a specific example. You know, when I read about what was happening to the Uyghurs in China a couple of years ago, I had been investing in China for more than 20 years at that point and was very happy with it. But the more I looked into it, the less I liked what was happening there. And I just thought, I really don't want my life savings to be involved in this. And anyone who is buying a global tracker is investing in China. And as I say, you know, the more you look into it, the less you are likely to like it. And active investors can avoid that. Passive investors are in it, like it or not. And finally, Ian, you touched on it in your last answer. Obviously, the pharmaceutical companies have come back to being front and centre with, for obvious reasons during the pandemic. And at the same time, there are some extraordinarily exciting developments, especially now with the use of AI genomics and, and almost personalised medicine, which is probably not that far away. What, what are your views on prospects for pharma companies? It's extremely exciting. I've been a shareholder in Worldwide Healthcare Investment Trust, ticker Whiskey Whiskey Hotel, for more than a decade, which gives a very good global exposure to healthcare and pharmaceutical stocks around the world. More recently, I, I became an investor in International Biotechnology Trust, where Dame Kate Bingham is head of fund management, IBT. And then in January of last year, I became a shareholder in Pfizer. That was interesting because I thought I had missed it because the price had spiked the previous October on what became known in the markets as Pfizer Day, when, when they announced that they had a vaccine that appeared to work and had FDA authorization. But the price sort of fizzled out and I went back to where it was before that announcement. So I bought in at $37 in January of 21. The price slipped back to $34 in February of 21. And they're currently around $56 and still yielding 2.85%. So that's a specific example, a very high profile one, obviously, from Pfizer. But there are lots of others which are also very interesting. And I do think that in, in the same way that the teens the 2010s, if you like, were the, the decade of technology. I think the 2020s might be the decade of healthcare for investment, because as you say, things like mRNA, mRNA, science and other, and other advances are changing the game. All sorts of things that would have seemed like science fiction not very long ago are now actually happening. The, the news story last night about the man in America who now has a heart that originally came from a pig, that would have been, as I say, science fiction not very long ago and could be a complete game changer because so many people uh, have illnesses where a transplant of some organ would be the solution, are waiting for these organs to become available and in some cases waiting years. And if it really is possible to create these organs 
in other mammals, then that would obviously be a huge step forward for humanity. And as we all know, medical research costs a fortune. And so this is an area where shareholders can, I hope, do well by doing good, as opposed to making money out of selling addictive drugs to people that will kill them, like tobacco. So, you know, I think that's that, you know, healthcare is, is going to be, well, it's already massive, but it's going to be much bigger soon. It's happening now. And my experience with Pfizer certainly suggests that investors should resist the temptation to think it's too late. I can't get involved. It's never too late. We shouldn't waste time worrying about the past. We'll never be able to buy or sell there. You can only really invest for the present and the future. So healthcare is one. Uh, another, which we touched on briefly, is renewable energy. I don't think that's going away. You know, uh, somebody from Centrica was on the radio this morning talking about gas prices going up by 50% when they lift the price cap in April and, and probably staying there for the next two years. That was a new bit of it, really. So I think people are going to become increasingly focused on how we generate the energy we need. And I think that renewables, although there may have been a bit of a bit of overexcitement a year ago, I think they will become increasingly important. And again, investment trusts offer a way for ordinary people like you and I to gain exposure to industries where we may not be fully up to speed with all the latest developments, but we can share the cost of professional fund management. We can diminish risk by diversification. And one of my investment trusts in that area is Ecofin Global Utilities and Infrastructure, EGL. And I'm very happy with that. Again, I paid £1.52 in September of 2009. 20 again the great pandemic panic year since then they've ticked up to just over two pounds and they're still yielding over four percent so that seems like an interesting long-term hold to me and there are others like gore street energy storage gsf which invests in the batteries the industrial scale batteries needed to smooth out inevitable fluctuations in renewable energy i.e. it means you've still got electricity when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. So I think if I were to if I were to be asked for the two big themes of the next few years, decade perhaps, I would say healthcare and energy. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So many thanks again for your time, Ian, and for those extremely valuable insights. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back soon with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.